Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church at home once again. Uh, this is our seventh or eighth week of conducting our worship services online, and I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. I'm Pastor Scott. You're usually hearing from Pastor Chris each week, but Chris is on paternity leave right now. Yep, you heard me right. Allie gave birth to a little girl this week named Gemma Marie. Uh, this past Tuesday, and she is a beauty. I'm not biased whatsoever, but she is truly a beauty. So Chris is going to be taking a little bit of time off to be with the family and just kind of adjust to the growth that's taking place there, but he'll be back with us soon. But it's really my joy to be able to fill in and to bring the word this morning, and hopefully it'll be a word of encouragement to you. First of all, uh, let me just take a minute to comment on some of the developments of this past week, uh, the governor's announcement. We saw a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel related to the shelter-in-place order uh, and the restrictions about public gatherings. Some businesses were allowed to reopen in what is being called phase one. I think there's actually three phases designed to get back to public life. So at this time, though, we do not feel like it's time for us to resume public worship quite yet, but hopefully in the near future we will. Uh, Like a lot of churches, we are beginning to give thought to the adjustments that we'll need to make when we begin public worship. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to do our messages online. And, uh, of course, some of our small groups are meeting online with Zoom. And uh, we're just going to continue to pray for the end of the coronavirus. Um, I also wanted just to share that that there's some renovations that have been taking place. Uh, When you do get back to the building, you're going to notice those renovations. And I'm really looking forward to us getting back together and worshiping together. This morning, if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to share a couple of verses, but one in particular that I think can bring encouragement. In fact, I think it really reveals the heart of God or His will for us. And so it helps us know what he desires to do, but it also helps us to to pray in agreement with him, to pray the scriptures. So as we look at this verse this morning, think about praying this for your own life and think about praying it for other people. Uh, The book of 1 Peter, of course, written by the Apostle Peter, written to fellow Christians who were at that time experiencing a time of unprecedented suffering. Uh, They've been scattered from their homeland. They were isolated from one another. And many, many people were suffering persecution uh, in their particular case because of their faith in Christ. And this this suffering would be both physical, uh, but it would also be social and economic, uh, the repercussions that took place. And I'm sure that just like anyone, just like us, when we're going through suffering, they were probably asking, where is God in the midst of all this Suffering. I mean, shouldn't we be spared from this kind of hardship uh, because we belong to him? Why are we suffering? So Peter takes time to write a book of encouragement to them, and he reminds them of a very important fact, that we have an enemy, and this enemy loves to cause suffering, and he loves to exploit sufferings. He, he, he loves to drive a wedge between us and between God. And so when you go to First Peter chapter 5, Uh, Beginning with verse 6, Peter writes this. He goes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded and be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone that he can devour. Resist him, 
Be firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now, in our country, we've really not known a lot of suffering. I mean, to be honest, we're we're a blessed nation. Uh, We're one of the wealthiest nations in the world. In the world, but but we've not really tasted or known the kind of suffering that takes place in in so many other countries. But today, with a with a pandemic um, really striking the entire globe, a lot of people are suffering, believers and non-believers. Your family may be dealing with some hardships, some inconveniences. I know and have friends that have lost income um, and have lost jobs, and others have been fighting off the virus itself. And so uh, there's so many different levels of suffering that are taking place in our in our world today, in our community. Physical, uh, attacks on our health, economic, the loss of income, anxiety over how in the world we're going to pay these bills. And then there's just emotional and mental and relational uh, stresses taking place. Uh, on one hand, for some people, this has been a time of in- immense loneliness, of being isolated, being all alone. But for others, it's been actually the other side of the coin. The stress of living with others in close quarters can at times be like, what, heavenly sandpaper? It can get very, very crowded at times, can it not? Um, I've noticed in in reading a little bit that both domestic violence and child abuse are up. Uh, as people were in closed quarters and get irritable and tempers flare and they lose control. And the enemy gets in. And he gets involved and he brings pain. Peter is acknowledging the fact of suffering in our world. And he he even encourages us. He says, don't be surprised by the suffering. He calls it a fiery ordeal. Don't be shocked or thrown off base by that. Interestingly enough, my devotion this morning, which is out of John Eldridge's book called um, Restoration Year. And my devotion for this particular morning on April the 24th. Uh, dealt with suffering. I'm, I'm going to read this. It goes, suffering will try to separate you from Jesus. You must not let it. The worst part of suffering is the damage that it can do to your view of God, your relationship with him. Feeling of abandonment creeps in. What? Where, where did this come from? Why did he let this happen? Even anger, a loss of hope, mistrust. At the very time that you need him most, you feel most compelled to pull away from Jesus or feel that he pulled away from you. There's a popular theology out there that says a Christian can avoid suffering, and most of us have unknowingly embraced it. Simply notice your reaction when life turns on you. It's it's a devastating heresy because suffering will come, and then what will you do? It shakes your faith in God because you thought it wouldn't come. It shouldn't come. Be very careful and pay attention to how you interpret your suffering. Beware of the agreements that you make. This is where the enemy can destroy you. Agreements such as God has abandoned me or it's my fault or a host of others. If you've been making these type of agreements, you will want to break them. They allow a chasm to form between you and Jesus. Too many Christians simply fold under hardship and give way to feelings of abandonment. Instead, protect your heart and your relationship with God by inviting Jesus into your suffering. And then he asks, where do you need to do that? 
today. Now, not all the suffering that we experience is obviously from the enemy. Some of it we cause ourselves, or other people may cause it, or just the fact that we live in a fallen world that has yet to be restored and made new. But what the enemy loves to do is exploit it either way to cause us to question the goodness of God, the closeness of God, and the involvement of God in our lives. So the question is, how do we invite Jesus into our suffering, as John Eldridge encourages us to? Well, that's exactly what Peter is inviting us to do in these next few verses. In fact, he models it for us in this passage. So as we continue reading, we come to verse 10, and and I want to take this apart a little bit, break it down, and sit with it, and, and allow us to digest it and soak the meaning of it into our souls. So you may want to pull out a, a pen, piece of paper, jot down some things that the Lord speaks to your heart about, some things you can come back to, and, and just meditate on and pray through and pray for others. But let me, let me tell you right from the start that the word order of this verse is going to be a little bit odd because in some versions uh, it begins with a phrase and others it ends with a phrase, the same phrase. And don't be confused by that. It's the same meaning. In fact, I think it's, it's a little bit beneficial that some versions start the verse with, with this phrase, after you suffered for a little while. And others are going to end with that. But, but the Greek language is just that way. The word order does not always translate exactly direct, but, but the meaning is the same. And what we have here, whether you, you begin by saying after you've suffered for a little while or if you end by saying after you've suffered a little while, sandwiched in the middle of that is, is the promise, is the real meat that we want to go after. It's the reality of what God wants us to know. Uh, when we're experiencing suffering, right in the middle of our suffering. And the verse from my translation reads this way, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever and ever. I love the way that Peter describes God. I think it's the way that God wants to know, uh, wants us to know him. He says the God of all grace. What God wants us to know about himself, about how he wants to relate to us, is that he is a God of grace and mercy and compassion. And he wants us to know that. He wants us to relate to him in that way. In fact, my, my plans are next week, we're going to dive a little deeper into the character of God and how he wants us to know him. But God wants us to know that, that what he's about with us is grace. It's grace. How do you define grace? You may have a definition you've heard all your life, but one person translated grace, it's God's love in action. It's God moving heaven and earth to redeem us, to save us, to give us what we do not deserve. Many definitions of grace simply say that it's undeserved merit or unearned merit. But it's more than that. It's more than just something that that is undeserved or unearned or even unobtainable. The word carries with it the rich, generous endowment of everything that God has being freely given to us, his children, who can't earn it, who can't even return it to him. God generously gives and gives and gives generously of himself to his children. 
This is what Paul is attempting to explain in Ephesians chapter 1, which, by the way, is one of the longest sentences in the whole Bible. And he just goes on and on trying to describe God's grace and God's love. He says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heaven. He goes on to say that that we not only have redemption and the forgiveness of sin, but he has richly poured out on us wisdom and understanding. He says we have a spiritual inheritance. He talks about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he prays, God, open their eyes so they can see this. You see, this is what John Eldridge was trying to warn us off a few moments ago, that the enemy will use our suffering to close our eyes to God's goodness, to cause us to question God's character and his feelings about us. And this is, this is a real temptation. And if we allow it to begin to enter in, it can be crippling to our faith. God is a God of grace. From his heart flows an unending river of grace that flows into us. He goes on to tell us in these verses that God has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. It it, it really kind of best could be translated. He calls us to himself, and in coming to him, we find the glory of Christ. It's, It's totally shared with us, the eternal glory of Christ. And what this reminds us of is that this world that we live in, that that there is suffering, it's real, but that this world is not all that there is. We're called to a glorious future where he promises to restore all things, and he wants us to know you're called. You may suffer, you may feel very small in this world, but you're called, you're invited, you're drawn in to share in the glorious future, the glory of eternity with me. And that's what he lays out in these verses, that he wants to be personally involved in our lives, at work in us, even in the midst of the suffering. I love that he he says that he himself does this. I mean, it, it points to the fact that he's personally involved. I mean, check that out. Look at it. He himself is involved. It's personal. So how does he get personally involved? What is it that God wants us to be praying for and receiving, uh, even in the midst of our suffering? Well, look at these four things, and these are pretty big. First of all, he says this, he wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. In the Greek, it's two words put together that means to completely and thoroughly repair, adjust, or restore to original condition. It's it's not like just taking an old beat up piece of furniture and sanding it down and trying to restore it and make it look good again. It's where God makes things new again. He restores them completely to original intention. He makes it a new he makes us a new creation. So it's all about God restoring. In the Old Testament, there's a promise written to uh, the people in the book of Joel. And the people, remember, were agricultural. So he paints a very vivid um, agricultural picture that we may have a little bit of trouble completely translating into our mind. But, but he promises this. He says in the book of Joel, he goes, I will restore the years that the locust have eaten. 
You see, as they would plant their crops and tend to their crops and harvest their crops, all year long they would work and work and work. And yet when the locust came, in one day the sky could turn black, the locust could move in, and in a matter of moments they would devour everything. It would all be gone, eaten right down to the, to the, to the twigs, all gone. And the people will be wiped out. And if this happened year after year after year, it, it, it could lead to starvation, complete desolation. And so God is saying, listen, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. In fact, in the, in the book of Joel, he goes, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the, the chewing locust, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's been coming after you to eat your soul away, to take away from you what I designed you for to experience. I'm going to restore it to you, whatever that may be. So I want to ask you this morning, where do you need restoring? God is inviting us to ask. He's inviting us to reach out because the God of all grace, of all grace is reaching out. He's desiring to restore our relationship with him. He's desiring to restore the things that the enemy may have taken away, promises, dreams. He's desiring to restore relationships and the things that really matter. And so during this time of, of suffering, during this time of quarantine, ask God to begin to restore in your life the things that he wants to, uh, to rebuild and ask him to show you what those things are so you can pray in agreement. The next thing he says, this God of all grace wants to do, is to establish you. God has promised to establish you. Now, where restoring has to do with rescue from damage, past damage, establishing has to do with setting us up in the right direction to ensure the correct outcome. It, it is establishing us and, and, and setting us up to win, if you will. The, the original word means to set fast or to set in a certain direction, and to get pointed in the right direction, to set you up to succeed, if you will. It's, it's like the picture of a plant or a tree that you take and you establish it in the soil. It's deeply rooted in the soil so that it has everything that it needs to grow strong and to bear fruit. It's like the tree described in Psalm chapter 1, the tree that is firmly planted by streams of living water, and it, it lacks nothing. Or it's like the description in Colossians 2, 7 of us saying, Therefore, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him, established, there it is, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Or Jesus' promise to us where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God says, I'm at work. I'm establishing you. I'm at work in your life. I'm a God of all grace and I am with you. You're not alone. So he's at work in you right now. Where during this season do you need to cooperate with him and invite him in to establish you? What is he trying to establish in you? Think about this. What is his heart, his desire? Ask yourself that question and really search it out. What do you believe God is desiring to establish in you? Next, he says, strengthen you. You see, our weaknesses, if we're honest about them, they reveal where we need him and how much we need him. 
And that's why it's, it's very important, crucially important, that we're honest with ourselves, that we're honest with God, and that we're even honest with others about our weaknesses and where we need the strength of God. The key is to acknowledge our weakness and invite him in, and he desires to come. Now, obviously, this is humbling. For sure, it is. But if you look up just a few verses, that's why he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, I don't know how you interpret the mighty hand of God, like, you know, God's coming down like the, the, the big heavy on you, but that's not what he's painting a picture of. It's the strong hand of God that we humble our hand, that, he, that we humble ourselves so his hand can strengthen us. That's why James 4, kind of a parallel verse to that, a sister verse, if you will, says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It is his ability in place of our inability, his strengthening. That's why he, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, to dwell within us, to strengthen us with an inner strength of God's strength that we're leaning not upon ourselves, but we're leaning upon him. And then he, he says this, the final one is to support you. I love the picture that the original word paints here. It means to come up underneath you and to lay a foundation underneath you that you can build upon. Jesus is our foundation. He is our bedrock upon which we can build. He himself. I think it's also a way of God saying, I'm, I'm here supporting you, but I've also got your back. I'm with you. And Peter reminds us that the suffering is not forever. It's just for a little while. It may seem like this has gone a long time. I mean, eight weeks, two months, this is a long time. You know, and it, how long is it going to go? We don't know. Maybe three months? We don't know. But this is a fact. It is going to pass. One day, this will soon be behind us. One day, this will be a part of our stories of, hey, do you remember when? You know, the stories of old. Peter ends this section by reminding us, to him, to God, this is, be dominion forever and ever. He's rem reminding us of the kingdom of God, that God is king and to him be the glory. He will work to bring glory to his name. He is at work. And I think that, that this, this whole section of Scripture is a great encouragement to us. It, it's a recognition that even in the midst of our suffering, God is at work. He is at work to do great things, but it's also a prayer guide. We can pray these verses for ourselves and apply these verses to ourselves and draw strength by looking and seeing what God is doing. But we can also pray for other people. So as you look at this this morning, ask this question. Where do you need restoring? Where do you need to ask God to work in your life? What is God trying to restore in your life? How do you need to be established? I mean, how's your foundation? How rooted are you in the Lord? Uh, maybe you need to invite him to establish you. Maybe get rooted in your heart and your soul. Maybe cooperate through uh, just seeking him, spending times in prayer and scripture, um, just, just pursuing him. Where do you need to be strengthened? Where do you need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and to work in your heart and in your life? Is your foundation, is it really resting upon him? And are you allowing him to be your foundation, to be your refuge in, in whom you lean upon and in whom you trust. As we wrap up this morning, let's just take a moment and let's pray together. And if you are there with your family, 
Um, you may want to join hands and pray. I mean, you, 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 can, you can do that. You don't have to have social distancing with your family. You're living together, so it's going to be cool. But uh, if you're alone, you know, just join your hearts with us because you're not really alone. We, we are together in spirit. We're part of a family. We're joining in prayer with one another and with saints all around the world. We're present before God, and he is with us, and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so together this morning, let's just join our hands and just, just pray. Father God, we want to just thank you for your love and for your involvement Lord, that the enemy does want to come along and just divert our attention to look at suffering and look at pain and cause us to question your goodness. But if we stop and we pause and we really begin to take stock, you are at work. You are working all around us, and we thank you for that, and you're working within us this morning. So we ask, Father, uh, for the Holy Spirit to come and search out our hearts and show us during this season the things that you're wanting to do. Uh, maybe in, in the home, our relationships have been stressed and we've become like heavenly sand, sandpaper to those around us. And it's a way of, of just allowing these, uh, these inconsistencies in our life to come up before us and before you so we can bring them before you and lay them down. We can have that, that uh, refining work to be done in our heart. Lord, so uh, point out to us the places where we've been selfish. We haven't been surrendered to you or we haven't served other people for those that this morning are, are just alone they feel very very much alone we ask for the comfort of the holy spirit to be with them that you would remind them that you are there this morning right now with them we pray father for the end of this this virus this pandemic around the world we pray that it would be defeated that people would be healed, that there would be testimonies of your goodness, your power, your grace. And Father, we pray that, that the church would rise above this and beyond this in the days before us. We love you. We thank you for one another, even though we're not able to meet. Uh, we are part of a family committed to pray for and to walk with one another. And so show us the ways that we need to do that. Uh, things that we can do to minister, to encourage one another. And we just want you to know that we love you. Uh, even as we can't worship together, we worship you in spirit and in truth. And our hearts long for the day when we're going to be able to gather together and hear one another's voices as we lift them before you and see one another's faces and uh, be and to enjoy one another's smile. We We long for that day both in the immediate future and ultimately in the eternal glory that we will share in Christ. We love you today. We ask you to bless each home, each household, each individual in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I really love you guys. I really miss seeing your faces and hearing your voices and just being together. If you need anything, please let us know. And until then, God's grace and peace be upon you and your household.